Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from Leviticus. In a sermon titled, A Clean Priest, Pastor Stephen examines the elaborate preparations needed to come before God as a priest in ancient Israel. He then ties that into Jesus being our great high priest. We'll discuss that and more today as we dive into Leviticus chapters 8 and 9. We're talking about God's holiness, our sins, and what it means to be clean before God. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, these chapters in Leviticus spell out in elaborate detail how priests were to be prepared to serve God. But before we get into some of those details, why are all these preparations necessary? Necessary is uh, the right word. And God chose these men, Aaron and his four sons, to be intermediaries, the representatives of God to the people and the people to God. Um, And, you know, I think the best way to describe their position is if we think about like the the military, right? I think Mm -hmm. this is a really good analogy. They represent a country, they protect that country, but they're more than just members of the country. They also are in some ways ambassadors and representatives. Mm -hmm. And so Aaron and his sons are now representatives of the people of God, but also of the God that speaks to his people, right? So they pronounce his word over the people. Um, And therefore, they have to be set apart from everyday Israelites. They're Mm -hmm. more than just Israelites. And they have this unique connection to God. They have to be more like God, Mm. clean, holy, pure. And so the rituals that we see in these uh, chapters, uh, God gave to the priests to not only show, uh, but also to help them know that they were set apart from the rest of the congregation, the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. These rituals, these cleansing uh, purification rites, uh, were examples of how God was working in these particular men mm-hmm. to make them uh, unique and set apart for their office that God had called them to. Okay, so you used a word that is really important to all of Leviticus and actually to all of our faith here. In, um, it's the word holy, and I, I want you to, to, to uh, define how is God holy? Like, what does that mean? And how does our sin separate us from God? Sure. So the simplest way to define holiness is just to say set apart, Hmm. um, unique in the utmost way. And I I think it's harder for us to understand because holiness for us is often connected to a process of earning, right? We think of Hmm. maybe 
um, the the head of an organization that is a you know religious organization, they've earned their position. Like the Pope has worked mm-hmm. his way up through the the ranks to earn his seat of holiness. But mm-hmm. God did not earn his holiness. Like he didn't beat out other gods for superiority or or follow some uh, you know pathway to get the status of holy. The reality mm-hmm. of God's holiness is established by his eternality, right? The, mm. the fact that God has always existed, and every single other thing that exists now was created by him and through mm-hmm. him. That is a, shows us a level of authority and independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the basis for our understanding of his holiness. Um, he is set apart because he existed before anything else existed, right? He mm-hmm. is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, mm-hmm. other. He is completely different in every way. But another part of his holiness has to do with his perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has never, ever acted in a way contrary to his character. He is consistent. Um, but our sin, by definition, is a departure from God's character within us. Hmm. So if we look at the beginning of Scripture, we see that uh, Adam and Eve, humanity, were created in the image of God, bearing some of his characteristics, um, and uh, unlike God, we chose to depart from those characteristics. Mm -hmm. We chose ourselves over him, right? That is sin. And that sin, that corruption, the departure from God's character, is what prevents us from being able to be in his presence, because our sin is offensive to him. And I really think this is a, that is a hard concept to understand, that mm-hmm. sin in and of itself is offensive to God and therefore separates from him. Yeah, God's presence among his people here in the book of Leviticus and in Exodus, as God makes himself known, is incredibly radical, unique in almost every way. Almost all other religions give their people steps to follow in order to get up to God, to the status mm-hmm. of higher spirituality. But here what we see uh, in Exodus and Leviticus, and indeed throughout Scripture, especially with the incarnation of Jesus, is that God comes to us. Mm-hmm. A perfect, holy, uh, pure God comes to dwell among His imperfect, sinful, and broken people. That's what we call condescension. God condescended mm-hmm. to us. He stoops low. And the reality is, in doing so, it doesn't negate the fact that God is holy and we are not, and therefore there is still this tension of separation Mm -hmm. between a holy God who is choosing to dwell among his people and a sinful, broken people who cannot be in God's presence. Yeah, so today I think that that many in our culture may say that this idea of being unclean before God is, I don't know, much ado about nothing. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I I think you're right. And uh, particularly in our Western mindset of, generally speaking, relativism and independence, Mm -hmm. every person deserves to be everywhere, right? I should have access to government emails. I should be able to choose (laughs) where I buy whatever product I am looking for from, whichever person or store offers the best price. So telling me that I can't talk to someone or be somewhere is upsetting to the Western mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Unless that place or that person is unseen or unimportant, 
right? So telling someone mm. they can't be in God's presence because they're unclean might seem like it should be offensive because you're mm-hmm. telling them they can't go somewhere. But because that doesn't seem to be relevant to their life, it does seem like much ado about nothing. That doesn't really matter. Right. And I, I think that's why someone might respond that way. Uh, but the reality is we are far more affected by our uncleanness than we care to admit. Uh, in particular, the fact that uncleanness cuts us off from the true source of life, mm-hmm. from from God himself. And so we look for life from all these other sources in the world, from our relationships, from our experiences, from our successes and our, you know, reputations, from whatever. And at some point or another, those things disappoint us. They don't provide the life, quote-unquote, that we're looking for. Mm. And that is an effect of our uncleanness separating us from the true source of life. Now, many people might not be able to recognize that or agree with that being the reason life is often disappointing, but that's what we see in Scripture, is that we are looking to idols to provide some existential connection to life. They Mm. might work for a little bit, but eventually they'll let us down, they'll disappoint us, they'll lead us into some kind of chaos uh, or destruction and the reason is because we have been separated from the true source of life, God, who never disappoints, never lets us down, never leads us uh, anywhere except back to himself. How might our general lack of reverence make it difficult for us to grasp the seriousness of our sins before a holy God? Yeah, huh. Um, I, I think that there's this problem of feeling right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As we were saying, being cut off from the source, it doesn't feel like we're cut off from the source of life. We have a hard time um, telling the difference between uh, what is holy and what is normal. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a... uh, there's no distinction between what is special and what is everyday for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no supernatural and natural. Everything is both natural and supernatural to us. And so um, if we have a, a decent job and food on the table and some some money and, and we are alive, uh, we feel like we have life. And that's all that there is. There's not really a second thought to... As some kind of next step or existential, um, you know, spiritual connection. And so mm-hmm. why worry about this thing called God when it seems like all the boxes of everyday life are checked? Mm-hmm. Why even worry about how He feels about us? Um, it doesn't feel like that is an important thing or a valuable thing. And so I, I don't know that it's necessarily like a lack of reverence so much as it is just an unattentiveness to the reality of uh, creation and the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a it's a myopic focus on today, um, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next five years, but not eternity. Mm-hmm. And so that leads us into ignoring the reality of. Uh, God, the holy, eternal God's connection to his people and our need for reconciliation and redemption because mm-hmm. of our sin. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking this in terms of reverence, uh, this idea of fear of the Lord. Like, that's, mm. that's just not part of our, of our general makeup as a culture. Being The fear of the Lord seems totally out of character, but I think without that, and I'm equating that with reverence, 
then our sin is not a big deal before God. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's uh, many people in the generation after Jesus died felt like he was coming back very soon within, mm-hmm. you know, one generation. And the apostles and the the letters of the New Testament all point to the reality that God doesn't work in our timing. And so even though Jesus doesn't return when you think he's going to return, that doesn't mean that God is not at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that fits into this idea of it, it feels like God is generally uninvolved, mm-hmm. right? And that leads to a, a lack of reverence, because if he's just out there, uh, you know, we would call this view of, of the world deism. God is mm. there, but he is totally withdrawn. Um, that That's very unappealing to us. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem benevolent or loving. That seems very uh, in poor taste for a God who created things to be uninterested in his creation. Mm-hmm. And when you have that view of someone, you're not going to respect them or revere them, mm-hmm. right? I, I think you're onto something there. All right, so if that's if that's where we are with this culture, um, so when it, when it comes to God's holiness, then how do we turn meh into awe? <laughs> yeah, because it well, just felt like it's meh. It's yeah, meh. you know, and I, I think part of the reason it is meh is because uh, we are just so inundated with things that are supposed to awe inspire us. Right, mm-hmm. you can go down to the local, you know, IMAX movie and sit and have your, you know, your mind blown by some, you know, amazing 4K sound, you know, Dolby digital surround sound. You can sit in your house and watch... Like Maverick Top Gun, man. I mean, man. (laughs) But but those are the kinds of things that somewhat dull our senses Mm. uh, of awe, right? We get it. As a as a people, we understand awe, right? Like if you go and sit on the beach in Santa Cruz and watch a sunset, right. there is something that stirs inside of you. Yes. I don't know that that a, a single person can drive through the tunnel and uh, at tunnel view coming into Yosemite Valley and not just catch their breath as they see down the entire valley with Amen. Yosemite Falls and El Capitan and and mm. Half Dome, like. There is something that we get deep inside of us when we see powerful, amazing things, right? Like, particularly Mm -hmm. right now as we're heading into fire season, when you watch the news coverage of these forest fires that are massive and raging, there is a sense of smallness and and Mm -hmm. how out of control... Uh, we are. We are not in control of these things, right? The sunset, the the landscape, this, these fires, storms, things like like there is a smallness built into us, mm. and I think the key into turning that into rightful awe is believing that there is someone in control of those things, and not only in control, but is structuring all of your life experience through creation, towards beauty and mm-hmm. rightness, right? Like, sunset seems to be just part of the the rhythm of life in a system, but God has intention to bring that stirring in your heart through that sunset. Mm-hmm. There in is, fact, there we've is... said that. As, as a family, we used to say at a sunset, we'd say, you know, look at what God is doing. 
yeah. to give credit to the to the person who who created this, right? Yeah, I mean, think about think about how many people have seen a sunset. Billions, billions yeah. of people throughout the course of history have seen a sunset, and all of them have seen the intention of God to build beauty into His creation. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that. It could have nope. just been the circle in the sky that went down. Right, mm-hmm. he could have adjusted how particle physics works so that there was no diffraction of light, refraction of light. Excuse me, in the in the particles of the atmosphere to make them purple and green and pink and beautiful. Mm. It could have just been meh, right. but it's not. Right? right, he could have just had all of the land mass on Earth be flat, right. but he didn't. He created plate tectonics. Right. And volcanoes and glaciers. So and that food that tastes good. Exactly. All of these <laughs> yeah. things that we somewhat take for granted are designed by God to bring beauty, which mm. reflects His character. And so being able to, to take a step back and to pay more attention, not just to what's around us, but how we're responding to what's around us. And mm. I, I think that that's, that is the next step from engaging in these good things to helping us see that there is something behind it, someone behind those good things. Yeah, and I think that's that's super, super important that we do that. Okay, let's dig into um, an important aspect of Leviticus, uh, and that is the priestly role. This has a lot to do with Leviticus. So what what is the priestly role? So if we take into account this separation between God and man, perfect God, sinful man, there is this separation. And we see that built into the construction of the tabernacle. If we remember all the way back in Exodus, when we talked about the construction of the tabernacle last summer, there were all of these things that communicated separation. There was a fence that ran around the courtyard of the tabernacle. There was the heavy wooden gate to prevent people from going into the actual tent. There was an outer chamber and an inner chamber and this thick, beautiful purple curtain that separated um, the inner chamber from the outer chamber. Basically, all of these things communicate there is separation. And instead of just leaving the separation as it was, God chose uh, a specific group of people to be those that stood in the gap, that Mm. kind of held their arms outstretched, connecting God and man, right? And those are the priests. The priests offer sacrifice on behalf of Israel, right? Appealing to God for mercy, uh, lifting up the prayers of the people, leading the people in worship, bringing them before God, and on the other side, performing the rights of forgiveness, declaring God's word over the people, bringing God to the people. Mm-hmm. And so we see God purposefully reaching out to his people through the priests and receiving the people reaching out to him through the priests. Hmm. So how did God prepare Aaron to look like God? Uh, everything about his wardrobe is the first and most obvious Step uh, again back in Exodus when the Israelites were given directions for the tabernacle construction and the creation of the priestly garments. Mm-hmm. There is a similarity between who God is showing Himself to be and how God uh, dresses Aaron and the other priests. 
the the um, tabernacle was meant to represent a, a throne room, right? So mm-hmm. we have all of these golden um, pieces of furniture, the lampstand, the table, the altar of incense. We have all this beautifully woven uh, purple cloth, right? Purple is a is a royal color, and in particular, mm-hmm. the giant. Uh, curtain, the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy part of the tabernacle, was ordained with these silver um, uh, pomegranates and these uh, cherubim mm-hmm. that were on the ceiling of the Holy of Holies to represent like the the, the trumpet bearers around the king's throne, which mm. of course the part of the Ark of the Covenant on the top where God said he would make his presence known where he would dwell was called the mercy seat hmm. or the mercy throne, right? This is mm-hmm. a throne room. What we see paralleled in the priestly garments is royalty. There is a royal aspect to how Aaron and his sons were to dress normally. Um, and so his robes were brightly adorned with jewels. Uh, his turban was very crown-like and to to top it off, there was this golden plate that sat on top of his turban on his head. That's to make gonna be it pretty look, heavy, right? Right, like <laughs> he was not a weak person, um, and and all of this points to royalty. And so mm. you have almost a, a, a royal ambassador uh, on behalf of the king communicating mm-hmm. with uh, the people of God. All right. So when are you and uh, Bob gonna start wearing robes? I, uh, if we could afford the amount of robe cloth it would take for me to have a robe, um, they're like 600 bucks. No, I know. I know. I think it's expensive. All right. Let's go deeper into some of the, uh, the preparations here. Uh, what is the significance of the ear, thumb, and toe? And why didn't God just say head, shoulders, knees, and toes to make it more memorable? Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) it's kind of odd in our view. Uh, but it was completely understandable in their mm-hmm. day and age. This was not a foreign concept to them. And there are actually multiple conclusions we can draw from these three points uh, that the blood of the sacrifice is smeared on the body. Mm-hmm. The first is is that ear, thumb, and toe all stand for specific functions of life, right? The ear mm-hmm. for hearing, the hands for doing, the feet for coming and going, carrying the body around, right? So the blood on those particular appendages signifies consecrating Aaron's listening, Aaron's mm. actions, and Aaron's life. Um, they're also representatives of the whole of his body, right? Where he goes of the feet, what he does, the hands, and what he hears and thinks, he understands. So it's almost a head-to-toe covering hmm. of blood. Now, interestingly enough, and this might go a, a little bit further than we've gone on the podcast before. We can. Let's do it. So the the altar that stood out in front of the Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, the tabernacle, excuse me, it had four horns on the outside, and each of the four horns was smeared with blood as well. And so we have four horns of the altar smeared with blood. Three parts of Aaron's body are smeared with blood, unless we take into account the other rite that had already been performed on him when he was eight days old, circumcision. Ah. There are four things smeared with blood, and all Mm. of them, there is a a holistic covering of blood um, in terms of the functioning of a human. Hmm. Ear, toe, thumb, and... 
you genitalia. Know, reprene- <laughs> uh, yeah, re- yeah, 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 reproductive generative organ. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It, yeah. yeah, well, that, there, you're right. We we are now in a new territory. With there this, you go. This, um, and the horns were like trumpet horns or like ram horns or what uh, do we know? Yeah, like uh, points, the ends points. of ends of the the corners of the altar. Uh, Wilson has been putting a, kind of a diagram of the tabernacle in the oh, back yeah. of our bulletin every week just to help us understand. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, the the altar was positioned so that each of the horns uh, faced one of the cardinal directions. And hmm. so, if we think about it that way, then the the blood was being used to cover, uh, clean, mm-hmm. consecrate all the parts of the altar, all of the sacrifices, and therefore all of God's people as they extend towards the different directions of the camp. You know, we may talk about this in a future podcast, but but one thing that is clear in Leviticus, there is a lot of blood. Everywhere. Blood, and Everywhere. That would be discussed. I mean, can you imagine someone who... Uh, is a PETA member? Oh, wow! Yeah, being alive during this time, it would not be good. We no. there, there would be they'd be canceled. Actually, I think. Yeah. Uh, sure. Okay, so this passage says that that Moses did what the Lord commanded. What did the Lord command? All all of the rites, uh, all of the the purification. Uh, actions contained in these chapters. Mm -hmm. Uh, The passage, uh, uh, chapter 8, starts this way, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and then there's all this stuff that happens, and then the passage ends with the words, uh, Moses did what the Lord commanded. That's what we Mm -hmm. call an inclusio. Mm -hmm. Um, We can think of it kind of like a literary parenthesis. Um, And we know from Hebrew literary structure that uh, an inclusio communicates that all of the stuff in between is connected by the parenthetical statements. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we see is God told Moses to do all the stuff that he did to Aaron, and Moses did exactly that way. Okay, so how does God show us the sacrifice was sufficient? Yes. Uh, key, key part of this whole section Chapter 8 are the rites of purification, setting the priests aside, uh, you know, making them unique and special, getting them ready to serve in their office, and that takes seven days. Mm-hmm. Each of the sacrifices and blood smearing and cleansing that happened, happened every day for seven days. And then on the eighth day, Aaron and his sons shift from being the object of sacrifice to being those offering the sacrifices. So mm. day eight is kind of like day one on the job for them. And after they do all of the uh, sacrificial um, things that we have seen laid out from Leviticus 1 through 7, uh, this is what happens in chapter 9, verse 24. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed Mm -hmm. the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Hmm. Everybody who was watching knew this was communication directly from God receiving these sacrifices, mm-hmm. communicating things have gone as I said they were supposed to go, and my response is just as I said it would be. I received these sacrifices. It is a pleasing thing to me that you have listened and obeyed. So you and Bob have done a great job in connecting the um the passages and, and the information in Leviticus to 
um, to the New Testament and to Jesus. So um, what does it mean that Jesus was our great high priest? This, is, uh, this comes from the book of Hebrews, right? Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was our great high priest. And mm-hmm. when we think about this in its historical setting, um, we see that Aaron was the first high priest. God's chosen intermediary between God and the people offers sacrifices on the behalf of the people, declares the message uh, to the people on God's behalf. And it might seem likely that as each generation passed on, the high priests got a little bit better and a little bit better, you know, iteration one, iteration two, iteration Mm, three. And then finally, when Jesus came, he got it right. High priest Uh, 8.0. Right. Uh, The reality is, though, that it works the other way around. Hmm. Jesus is the true and ultimate high priest. And Aaron and every single other high priest from Aaron to Jesus was just a indicator, a pointer. Hmm. The way Aaron and his sons functioned between God and Israel was just a representation of how Jesus functions. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the book of Hebrews, uh, the reason that Jesus is called our great high priest is because all the other high priests are faulty in some way. Mm. They're inadequate. Uh, They themselves had to make sacrifices for their own sin. They had to go through those seven days. Jesus never had to do that because he was without sin. Mm. They had to make their sacrifices year after year after year. Jesus didn't have to. It was a once-for-all sacrifice because his sacrifice was perfect. Each one of the Old Testament high priests died and had to be replaced. Not Jesus. He died and rose again and is forever our perfect intermediary between God and people. Mm-hmm. None of those shortcomings apply to Jesus. And so what we see is that he is the capital T H E high priest, and all the others just function as signposts that capture the essence somewhat of who Jesus is and the role that he performs. So how does that connect to uh, when Jesus was on the cross and uh, he said, it is finished? Uh, Yes. So this is the great uh, determinator of God's approval of sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. So just as we said in Leviticus, the fire comes out from before God to show that he has received those sacrifices. Um, On the cross, uh, Jesus is accomplishing uh, redemption, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is is what these sacrifices were uh, working out for the people of Israel. They were communicating, you have sinned, there is a penalty for sin, but God in His grace and mercy is going to allow someone else to pay the penalty. Mm. And the way God communicated that to Israel was by saying, if these animals die, they die in your place. You are being redeemed by the death of another, right? And, and it's pointing to the reality that one day Jesus would be the other. He would come and die. And so on the cross, as Jesus is dying, he cries out, it is finished, to show that all of the promises that God had made to his people in the Old Testament, if you believe in me, I will make you clean. If you trust in me, I will redeem you. Jesus is saying, at last, I have paid the ransom, the punishment is taken care of, atonement is accomplished. 
it is finished. Let's talk about being clean, because if we start to take this idea that, that um, you know, our uncleanness seriously, how do we know if we're ever clean enough to be in God's presence? Oh, this is going to be a hard one for some people, <laughs> uh, because you're never going to be clean enough. Hmm. And that's, that's a hard truth to hear, hmm. because we love the idea of improvement incremental improvement. You know, you look at the podcasts that are out there, and so many of them, you know, are in their own niche, 1% better every day type of podcasts. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be all good tomorrow, just 1% better every day. And uh, if you're looking for some marker of cleanliness so that you can rest and believe, I belong here the truth of life is you're never going to find it. You know, one of one of my favorite pastors, uh, Steve Brown, he's got a radio show, and he preaches at a church in Atlanta regularly. Uh, he says, I love this uh, saying of his, the only people who ever get better are the people who know that if they never get better, God will love them anyway. Hmm. Let me say that again. That's good. That's a, say it again. Mouthful, yeah, absolutely. Right? So the people, the only people who ever get better are the people who know that if they never get better, God will love them anyway. Well, that's good. Cleanliness is a gift given by God. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, uh, that cleanliness is confirmed forensically, right? That means mm-hmm. that God, when He sees us, has declared us to be clean. We are washed as white as snow. It's like Mm. having a a bright white shirt. But the problem is, in daily life, our sin begins to mess it up, like getting black lint all over that Mm. bright white shirt. Mm -hmm. And over time, God cleans us. It's a process called sanctification. Mm -hmm. And so He works the reality of cleanness into us throughout our lives. But Mm. what we see is that there is never a point where all of our sin in our earthly life is removed. When we die and we see Jesus face to face, we will be perfect and without sin as He is perfect and without sin. Hmm. But every day until that point, it is a process of being cleaned, and the only way you get clean is you have to recognize where the dirt is. And so... That means that there is never going to be a time where you fully believe, I belong here. Mm. There is a humbleness that says, I know God wants me here and has done everything I need to be here, but I, I don't deserve this. So this whole passage is about being clean so we can come into God's presence. But um, last question for you, how do we know that God is near us? Yeah, uh, I, I think the first thing is we got to take Jesus at His word. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, Matthew eighteen. Jesus promises, "Where two or three are gathered together in My name, there I am in the midst of them." Mm-hmm. Um, we got to believe that He is not lying there. Um, yeah. So, when we are gathered in the name of Jesus, whether we are praying or worshiping or sharing a meal or uh, you know watching a baseball game with other believers that Jesus is with us. And that's encouraging. That might be challenging, convicting, depending on what the conversation is about or what we're doing. 
But the reality is, he says he's there with us. <laughs> the second thing I would say to know that God is near us is to see how he has given us ordinary actions that he has promised are conduits of his grace through which mm-hmm. he meets and changes us. We call these the means of grace. Some of them are prayer, worship, baptism and communion, the sacraments, mm-hmm. fasting, sacrificial giving, feasting, reading and meditating on scripture, right? Things like that. They are habits and rhythms of life that God has told us are beneficial for us to feel his presence in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's not that uh, God isn't close to us, so we need to do these things to convince him to draw near. Mm-hmm. It's that we struggle to recognize or feel his closeness. And so he has told us these things help us feel his presence, help us feel his closeness. And mm-hmm. as we participate in those things, we trust that God opens our eyes to, to see him at work um, in us, in our in our lives, in our relationships, uh, and in our uh, con- community, in our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I tell my kids that God is as near as you want Him to be, and He's near when you don't want Him to be. Exactly, He's that's exactly it. <laughs> not All that right, you're Steve. wrong, or that you should tell your kids differently. I'm just saying, a lot of you... times we feel like He's not near, and so we think He actually isn't. But the right. truth is, He is always at work. He is always around, caring for you and loving you, and He invites you into these habits and practices to feel that, to feel Him mm. at every moment of every day. Mm, praise God. I, lo- I love that. Yeah. S- Stephen, thanks for your, uh, your time this morning. Yeah, thanks, Matt. The title of Stephen's sermon is A Clean Priest. It's one of the sermons in our series from Leviticus. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. We hope these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, if you are in the San Jose area, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.